Hello, waffle lovers, and welcome to another episode of Whatever Flips Your Waffle here on 365sportscast.com. I'm your host, Mark Domeyer, coming to you, as always, from the bunker deep in the heart of southern Minnesota. There's plenty to talk about this week with the Twins, the Lynx, a little bit of everything here in Minnesota. I'm glad you've decided to tune in and listen to this insight into Minnesota sports. Welcome to those of you who tune in each and every week on Wednesday evenings or on YouTube, and to those of you checking us out for the first time. Sit back, relax, prepare yourself for another helping of waffles, syrup optional. We're going to get right to the interview this week. It's jam-packed with good twins in insight. Uh, this week I talked to John Swole, who runs TwinsTrivia.com. Let's get right to it. Joining the program this week on 365sportscast.com, I've got John Swole. He runs TwinsTrivia.com. And if you're wondering sometimes where the Waffle Flipper gets all his uh, on this day in Minnesota sports history, a lot of that sometimes comes from that. If it relates to the Twins, I probably found it at TwinsTrivia.com. A lot of great information there on the Twins. John, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much, Mark. I appreciate you having me on the show. Yeah, like I said, a lot of things, and as I have cruised around your website over the last few months, I found a lot of uh, really interesting things as a Twins fan. Um, you can also follow John on Twitter, at S-T-O-K-E. And, uh, John, you, you proclaim to be a, a, a Twins fan since 61, a Twins believer. What was it like... To be here in Minnesota in 1961 when the Twins came to town? Well, actually, I started following baseball in 1957, um, back when how the only way you could uh, really get Major League Baseball in our area in Taylor's Falls, where I grew up, uh, just north of Minneapolis-St. Paul, was um, on my little transistor radio and I would listen to the Braves games and that's how I became a baseball fan and in 57 uh, the Braves ended up going to the World Series and beating the Yankees and I always hated the Yankees <laughs> and that was really a good thing that I had some uh, you know the Braves had some really great players back then and then uh, you know I kept following the Braves and then when the Minnesota Twins came to town and I kind of switched my allegiance to our home team and started following the American League and that was uh, a lot of fun. It just, being able to listen to baseball is, because we, you know, I, we didn't have but uh, a black and white, a small black and white TV and that wasn't until I was, you know, probably in, uh, mid-60s, okay. so I didn't get to get to watch any of the Twins games early on. Okay. I was more of a radio listener, and that's how I came to appreciate listening to baseball on the radio. And I think there's there's so many of us, and, and you're a little bit older than I am, um, but I grew up, too, listening to the games. They're, they weren't on TV very often when I was a youngster, and so tuning into WCCO was always a thrill. Uh, when it yep. came to that. So I, it struck me if you were a Braves fan to start and certainly beating the hated Yankees is always a good thing. Uh, in, <laughs> in 91, did you ever ha did you have any torn allegiances when the Twins faced the Braves? Any lingering remorse? No, not, not at all. At that point, I, I'm 
a full-fledged Twins fan, and you know the Braves and their tomahawk chop were a little bit too much for me. <laughs> and I can say from having been to Game One of the World Series in '91, uh, they pretty much eliminated that chop uh, pretty quickly at the Metrodome. Um, what you know, prior to the Twins coming to Minnesota, you know, having been the Washington Senators, there were minor league teams there, the Minneapolis Millers and stuff like that. Could you could you sense were you of an age where you could sense just how important a change this was to become a major league town? Oh, it was it was a big deal. Um, you know, everybody wanted you know the Twins were really the first major league team to come to Minnesota. Right. And well, outside, you know, there there was the Minneapolis Lakers and so forth. So I, you got to give them credit oh, for yeah. that in basketball, but. Um, you know, they, everybody wanted pro baseball in, in Minnesota, and when that finally came to pass, it, it was huge. And what I found interesting was, you know, how baseball fans attended games back then where men were dressed in their suit and tie and <laughs> women were, were all dressed up, and you know, compared to the way that people attend baseball games today. Yeah, it, it was it was truly an event back then for most people. Sure was. Yeah, like going to church on Sunday or or a big party or something. Um, yep. Yeah. So, your initial reaction to Met Stadium as a big league ballpark back in '61, when I mean it was built before then, but but when it became a true big league ballpark, what was the reaction to that? Well. I don't know if anybody, you know, most fans had anything to compare it to, so everybody thought it was great. You know, I didn't get to attend a person or a game live at, at Met Stadium until 1965, which, and my very first experience with a baseball game at Met Stadium was the 1965 All-Star Game. Oh, wow. Uh, and that was kind of a, a strange thing because uh, in 65 I was a senior in high school um, who had just graduated. I was getting ready to go into the Navy uh, in August. And um, so a couple of us were sitting around talking and saying, well, you know, the All-Star Games going to be on tomorrow, you know, at, at the Met. Why don't we get out there, drive up there, and go to the game. Not even given a second thought to, you know, are there any tickets available right. <laughs> or anything like that. Um, so three or four of us got into the car, drove up to the cities, and uh, were able to get standing room tickets under the uh, left field bleachers uh, at the time. And uh, so that, that was my first experience with Met Stadium, but I still remember walking into it and I had the very same reaction I think that millions of other people have had. The first time you walk into a big league ballpark what strikes you what seems to strike you first is how green the grass is. Yeah, right, right. You know, it's, it is just strange but it, it was amazing and it was uh, quite the experience and that all-star game was, you know, the Hall of Famers that played in that number of that played in that game was amazing. Right. To be able to look back and say, I was there and I got to see all these. Because that was a time period where no interleague play. You only got a chance to see those National League players in the All-Star game or if your team made the World Series. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, yeah, I was able to attend a game at Met Stadium myself in its last season 
Um, and by then, you know, the, the reviews weren't quite as good anymore, and everybody was Metrodome. looking forward to this great big Metrodome that we were going to build. <laughs> well, a lot of people were, and a lot of people were vehemently against it, as, as you may have um, read or, or seen articles about that. You know, people were pretty upset because the Metrodome was, was pretty much strictly a football stadium, and uh, I was just, I don't know if you've read the book that um, Dick Brummer had had. Re- Oh, yes. About a year ago? Yep, very good. It is, and I'm just reading it, and I was surprised, uh, you know, that he mentioned in one of his little snippets there that uh, Calvin Griffith, you know, was in spring training of the year they were supposed to start playing in, in the Dome, and they found out that they forgot all about the bullpens. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> And had nothing ready there, and then they finally decided to just kind of put them down the down the third baseline and the first baseline. Which, you know, when you look at the modern stadiums today, and very few stadiums still have that setup, of course. Um, right. I, I'm thinking, like, uh, Tampa Bay does, I think, in that um, stadium, what they call a stadium down there, but uh, it's always dangerous. Uh, all, in Oakland, too, I think they still have that um, yeah. down the baselines. Yeah. I found it, you know, kind of, kind of interesting to have the in the Metrodome the visitors bullpen down the right field line because, as it turned out, we had season tickets then, and and we were right there at that visitors bullpen, and we were in the first row. There was only two seats in the first row the way it was configured. So I didn't. We didn't have anybody walking in front of us or anything besides, you know, the usher that kind of stood there. But it was always fun to to see the, the visitors pitchers warming up there. You know, they throw you a ball all the time. Right. It, it, it was just wonderful. And then when when Target Field came along, you know, whether how they assign the seats. I always thought it was questionable and unfair, but you know we ended up <laughs> sitting way, way from the field compared to you know what uh, we had at the Metrodome. Okay, okay, and and Target Field, obviously of of all the stadiums the Twins have played in, uh, by far and away the best stadium. Um, sure. You know, what was your reaction the first time you walked into Target Field then? Yeah, you know we were. I was just kind of amazed at how they got so much into a small area. Um, you know, when they were building that, they had um, a kind of a camera on on the location, and so you were able to follow it as they were building the ballpark. That was fun to see, and you can still find that out on the internet. And uh, um, they've got it uh, where you can play it like you know the whole building process that took a couple years oh, right. in about a minute on a video which yeah. is kind of fun yeah the old time lapse type of thing right yeah um i know that i the first few times of going to target field i spent a lot of time walking around just exploring because it has such sure. great sight lines that i could stop anywhere and watch the game action um and then kind of keep looking around and mm-hmm. everything too a lot different than uh, you know than watching a game from the dome for sure. Yeah, yeah. If you went to use the bathroom or you went to a concession stand, you had no idea what was happening except for the little TVs that they had up 
um, at different yeah. locations. Yeah. Have you had a chance to go to other stadiums around uh, Major League Baseball at all? Yeah, I um, because I was when I was in the Navy, I and I was at the Great Lakes for my boot camp and and schooling, and so I went to the old Comiskey Park, oh. caught some games, White Sox games there. They used to uh, let them back then. They used to let the military people in for free. Okay. Okay. We went out there, and then um, since then we've traveled around a little bit. We've got gone out to Seattle to catch a game out there. We've uh, driven down to Kansas City a couple times to catch some games down there. Um, and we've been to the old Atlanta ballpark at one before okay. before this newest one that they got built. Uh, we went to we've been to Wrigley Field uh, where we about froze to death on that fall evening. <laughs> but uh, wind coming off that lake is wickedly cold. Oh, I'm I sure. Had experienced that on a previous occasion. Okay, well, I I got a chance to go to Seattle last summer, and we've been to Kansas City as well, and I'd love to go back to Kansas City. Um, fantastic. Um, and and they're talking now about possibly building a new ballpark. Down. Are they really? Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's crazy. I, oh, I just I love Kauffman Stadium. It's it's got that vintage feel, but it's still got some modern amenities. And you know, their little Hall of Fame in there is is nice to walk mm-hmm. through too. So, um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. So you were in the Navy. By John Swole is with us on the on the program this week. He was in the Navy from '65 to '68, and. Right as the Twins started to, you know, 65, go to the World Series, they were contenders all those years. How difficult was it to follow your team while you were with the military? Well, back then when you were in the military, it wasn't like it is today with the Internet and everything. So right. We weren't, I wasn't able to follow the team at all as it you know, in 65, after I graduated from school in, in May, I went into the, joined the Navy on the buddy plan with, with a friend of mine from school and his birthday was in August and the plan we went in uh, under was uh, you go in before you're 18 and you get out before you're 21. And uh, so uh, since his birthday, 18th birthday was in August, we had to go in uh, at, at the beginning of August. And so I missed out on almost all of there the second half of the 65 season and and the entire world series you know we were um in boot camp and in school you had really uh, nothing except reading about things in the paper or um you know getting a, a subscription to the sporting news like i did but okay. even that you know, sometimes that arrived and sometimes that didn't. Right. I suppose. And depending... Somebody else found it more interesting yeah. and kept it. <laughs> Maybe that's what's happened to my Star Tribune the last few Sundays. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I suppose that as you, if you moved around and stuff too, trying to have that follow you um, could be a little difficult. But um, you, you eventually got news that they lost to the Los Angeles Dodgers that year. Right, right. And, um, you know, and then, you know, once I left 
I was in boot camp in the fall of, you know, through the fall of that year. And then I was in radar A school at Great Lakes. I spent the winter of 65 to 66 there. And then in April of 66, I ended up getting assigned to a aircraft carrier, the USS Shangri-La CBA 38 out of Mayport, Florida. Um, and so then we were off you know, to, uh, on various cruises a couple times over to the Mediterranean and so forth uh, over the years. And you just, you know, you just don't, didn't have those kind of communications back then as, as what uh, the, the service personnel are able to have nowadays and, and be able to Zoom with their families or whatever. Right. You know, it, it yeah. just didn't exist. I remember um, we were over in the Mediterranean. I called home um, for Christmas one year from Italy, and it cost—you know—you had to put you had pay phones. It cost me, I think, like back then, thirty-five dollars to talk uh, from there to to Minnesota for three minutes. Wow. <laughs> Wow, and you know we weren't paid a lot of money back no, then. No, <laughs> no. So it was even more of a sacrifice and a commitment to be in our military back then, um, without all yeah. the modern amenities we have today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we appreciate the service that you gave our country as well, and um, see the world, but miss out on baseball, I guess. You know, yeah. dur during all these times, we've seen a lot of changes in Major League Baseball, and I know as I was putting together the program that you're on for this week, and I. Um, on your site, the uh, coming up this week is the anniversary in 1968, where Major League Baseball announced American League West and American League East, and here's the teams that are going to be in them. So we look at things like that change, adding the designated hitter, all these continued expansion, other rule changes. Do you mind these changes? Are you kind of wish it was the way it used to be, or or do you see good in the way things have changed over the years? Well, a little bit of both, I guess. I'm I'm more of a traditionalist, so I do not like a lot of the changes that that have taken place. But you know, some of the things that uh, maybe are even coming, like the automated balls and strikes, that um, I would expect to see soon. You know, I guess I'm for that. I'm. You know, I want some of the umpires and some of the calls they make, and you know, it sure would be nice to see it standardized and make it a little bit more fair for everybody. Um, but at the same time, uh, I miss baseball the way it was played versus the way it is now. Although here in Minnesota this year, the they seem to kind of be reverting back yep. a little bit and have um, maybe given up a little bit on on the you know hitting the home runs. I, I to me, seeing either home runs or strikeouts isn't real baseball. No. And, um, so I'm hoping it goes back. You're starting to see. I was watching the game last night. There was a, a couple sacrifices and yep. in the last week. There, they probably had more sacrifice bunts and flies and things like that than uh, they've had in the last year or two combined. Yeah, yeah. There's something to be said. You know, that's a skill when you you know 
prior to this year when you'd watch guys t- try to turn around and square to bunt, it was almost painful. Like they don't understand the basics. And I think back as a, as a former baseball coach, it's one of the things we used to work on at the start of the season because you never know when you your ability to bunt could make the difference in a game. Absolutely, and uh, you know the shift. I wasn't. I've never been a big fan no. of that. I expect to see my third baseman in a certain spot, and <laughs> my shortstop yeah. in a certain spot, and you know, I, I'm still confused by what they're doing. You know, with the shift, and you know how they're scoring. You know, they've they've got third baseman covering second base or whatever, and uh, you know, so when you see a the play in a box score you don't you don't really know what happened right. I mean you don't it, it just is confusing whereas before if you knew that uh, it was thrown to you know from one to six or whatever you knew where the ball was going or what base he was covering right uh but that's not always the case anymore no I've always thought it would be more difficult to turn some double plays when your third yep. baseman's so far over, your shortstop's where your second baseman used to be, and yeah, I, you know, and for you as well, I'm sure as me growing up, the shift was you had a lefty up, and everybody kind of moved a little bit toward right, and that's it. Yeah, <laughs> that yep. was the that was the shift, yep. and it sounds like that's going to go away next year. Um, I'm with you on the automated umpire, and I'm an umpire myself, and it, it's hard. It's a hard job, and I can't imagine watching these guys throw 90, 100 miles an hour and trying to judge that ball. And, you know, overall they do very well, but when they don't, everybody notices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always amazed at the umpires, you know, and my wife and I, you know, watch the Twins games and stuff, and, and you'll see a close play at first base or something. You know, almost all the time. And then, you know, they mess sometimes. But right. I'm not saying they don't, but... I'm, you know, I when I watch it in real time, I whether it it's because you're watching it on TV or whatever, but you know, you know, I would have gotten that right anywhere close to those guys do. Yeah, I like to tell people that I miss one call a game. I'm just not going to tell them which one it was. So <laughs> I like that. So yeah. so after you know and and. You know, being a lifelong Twins fan, or, you know, Twins fan since their beginning, you know, 65 disappointment, 69 and 70, they win the Western Division and then lose to the Baltimore Orioles. What did it feel like after all of that, and then some really down years in the 70s and 80s, all of a sudden 87 and 91 roll around, how did it feel to be able to root on a champion, finally? And, you know, the way it turned out, it no one really had expectations of going to a World Series in 87. Right. It just kind of happened. And, you know, no one thought that they were going to beat the Tigers or whatever in the playoffs. But, you know, they did all those things and just things just seemed to go their way. Um, it, it, it was amazing. And I was able to, to go to a World Series game in uh, both 87. 91, you know, so it, it was uh, really a super fun experience. And then I was a, I went to live close enough here that um, when they were coming back after having beating, 
beaten, won the playoffs, and all those people showed up at the Metrodome. All right. You know, I was one of those people, and out there in the left field corner, it was just crazy. Awesome. It was, it was just so much fun, and, and all the people, when you wandered uh, around coming back from that event, all the people that were celebrating and cars in their cars, uh, all the horns were honking and people were hanging out car windows yelling and screaming. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was quite the thing. Yeah, and, and who would have thought, here we are over 30 years later, and we haven't sniffed the World Series. I mean, <laughs> American League Championship Series one year, but that, we're just, oh, maybe this is the year. Because nobody expected it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised that they have a good team. I thought last year was just kind of a fluke and how bad everything went. Uh, but yet, I certainly wouldn't have predicted that they would be as good as the way they're playing. Right. To, to this point. Yeah. We've got John Swole with us here on the program. He runs a website, twinstrivia.com. I encourage you to check that out. A lot of really great twin stuff on there. John, how did the website come about when you started that process? Well, the website kind of came after a book I wrote called Twins Trivia. Um, back in the 90s, mid 90s or so, you know, there was a talk, twins weren't growing well, there was talk of them moving and so forth. And over the years, I had kind of taken some notes about the twins and jotted down some, uh, some events that I thought were interesting and so forth. And I thought, well, if I wanted to write a book before they moved, and I didn't have enough time to write. I didn't know, well, I guess I didn't know what kind of book I wanted to write, and I finally decided that the easiest thing to do for someone that had never written a book was to write kind of a twins trivia book, and so I put together a bunch of questions and answers, and back then self-publishing wasn't a big deal at all, or it was a big deal, it just didn't happen very often, and right. you couldn't uh, get someone to certainly to pay you for it. Um, so I ended up meeting a, a gentleman by the name of Bob Pyle, who was in advertising at one time with the Baltimore Orioles. And he lived here in the cities, and uh, he was a good friend of Herb Carneal. Okay. And so he thought that the book was kind of interesting, and he said he would help me self-publish the book. And so that's what we did. I got the book self-published, and and it came out. And then um, a couple years later, um, the Internet kind of came on stronger, and I started to, to fiddle with it a little bit and thought that I could get a website, and I would name it after the book that I had written. Right. And that's how, how that came to be. Um, and so I started, you know, building a website was, was a little bit more cumbersome back then. <laughs> and this was probably around 2003, 2004, when I first started it. And Microsoft, I think, had some kind of a deal going on that would allow me to do that. And I started that. But um, after that, 
I was getting ready, thinking about retiring, and I retired in 2007. I needed something to do, and so that, so I thought, well, this my website and baseball can keep me busy and uh, out of mischief, and so <laughs> I've been running a, a website or this website pretty much ever since. Okay, where do you get all your information? I, you know, you got a lot of. Of course, the internet helps, but you know, links to some Star Trip stories and stuff, and but just a lot of good information about different games and events that happened with the twins. Well, I've done a lot of research. Um, you know, some of the information you know I had saved over the years from different articles on on different players or, or different teams. Um, so I and I'm doing research all the time, and right now. Um, you know, it started out as just um, the kind of the highlight of my website was going to be the, the this day in Twins history. Right. And I what I didn't want to have a website that um, you know, since I was by myself, that I could write articles all the time because I just didn't. I don't have the time to do that. And if you don't have new material that you can add on a fairly regular basis, then you tend not to have very many readers. And uh, so I thought this was the way to go. Um, I'm always on the lookout. I'm always adding new things. And then part of the process was, well, uh, I kind of converted over to in the on this day portion of the website was that I started doing short synopsises of the games for each of the days. And so I've got probably a couple thousand um, game recaps out there for the various days. And I'm trying, some years I've got every single game. Uh, Other years I don't have as many. And I'd like to get them all over time, but I don't know if I'm going to live that long. (laughs) Well, we can we can hope. I've known you know, like sixty one. Certainly, there's a lot of stuff in more recent years you've right. gotten. We've been you've been tracking the uh, or you've tracked the all the games they missed when the COVID pandemic hit and everything right. like that too. But I just I find it really fascinating. And a lot of times I'll read one and go, Oh yeah, I remember that game. And it's just some yep. strange offhand game from May of whatever year, and and think, Oh yeah, I remember that happening. Or it's a nice little reminder that. Hey, I saw that yeah. game, or I listened to it, or whatever the case might be, um, and that's and that's kind of what what is behind the idea. I, I want to. Well, first of all, I guess I want my website to be the Twins' go-to website to look up historical information, and so that's why I have a lot of the history stuff that's out there. Um, but I want fans to be able to to look at that and say, "Hey, I." I was at that game. I remember that mm-hmm. now. And I'm interested when people make comments back and say, this happened to me or or I ran into this player or whatever. To me, those are the kind of the, the fun things about baseball that uh, it's interesting to to get their viewpoints on. Right. And, I, you know, I've done that when I bring some of those things onto my program here. I remember I, I was at the Scott Erickson no-hitter, for example. And uh, wow. when we ran across that, you know, that's that's one of those pure luck kind of a thing. Um, 
that I was in college and we went up to the game and uh, but it brought back some some great memories that oh that's the date it was on because uh, I'm not sure I still have my ticket stub uh, I might if I <laughs> dig somewhere uh, and there's another thing that you know ticket stubs are kind of going by the wayside too you get everything electronically and and yeah. uh, there's something about that, you know, to have my ticket stub from the 91 World Series or I got a chance to go to the Home Run Derby at Target Field when the All-Star Game was here. Those are awesome to me. Absolutely, and it's it's sad that tickets are going by the wayside. It's all electronic now, and, uh, you know, people enjoyed the tickets and, and the memories that went with it. I mean... Ball clubs even, and I don't know why they're kind of getting away from it besides the cost, but when a, a special event happened at your ballpark, fans from all over the country sometimes rode in and bought a ticket just to say that they had, you know, a ticket from right. that particular game, even though they didn't attend, but still, right. it was a big deal. They could use a ticket to get an autograph, um, last thing. Yeah. It's a shame. Yeah, yeah. And that's, but you know, it's funny, I, my wife and I were just talking the other day uh, about when we pass on someday and all this stuff that we've collected, like my old tickets and stuff like that, what are my kids going to do with that? And I said, well, they'll probably just throw that stuff away. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's a different generation um, that's happening yeah. right now. Uh, there's a lot of other things on your website too. It's not just the on this day, but you have a lot of other things. And again, I think people, would, uh, Twins fans, would really um, love if if they check out TwinsTrivia.com. You're going to find a ton of stuff there. John, what is it about nostalgia that really resonates and just brings that smile to our face? You know, as you and I are talking and we're remembering this and remembering that, what makes that just such a great, unique experience? I guess for me, you know, it's just the fact that you're looking at something that you really enjoy, and you and, and I enjoy the game of baseball, and to be able to bring back something from 20 years ago or 30 years ago and say, God, you know, I remember that, and, you know, that, that was a fun time. And, you know, sometimes those kind of memories jog even other things that are a lot of other memories that are a lot of fun to remember right or maybe you went to a ball game with with somebody that's no longer with us or or you know all those kind of things yeah and even even if it's a loss you know even if it's yeah. something that's negative that still um can be a really really awesome thing and and i know spending time with my family both my parents um when i was younger and now my own children um, it, those are the kind of things, yeah, even if it's um, that it was really hot at Target Field one day and my son got heat sickness. I, it's a memory, and it's important for yep. us to remember. And um, just because we miss seeing Jim Tomey hit the longest home run in Target Field history, uh, <laughs> but it's still, it's still um, one of those good memories that we have. Uh, Absolutely, and, um, you know, it, What's fun to, about baseball, I think, whether you watch it on TV or you watch it in person, is you never know what you're going to see on that given day. Yes. I mean, like you mentioned, the no-hitter that you got to see. I've, uh, of all the games I've attended, I've never seen a no-hitter. Right. Uh, I've never been at a game that's had a triple play, but I've seen those things on TV. Yep. Uh, but yet, 
you know, you just don't know the plays that still happen that you wonder, you know, why haven't I ever seen that? Yeah. And, and it just it's just an interesting game. Well, that, that's in any sport, really. I always say that it's better than reality TV because it's true reality because you don't know what you're going to see, no matter if it's football, basketball, baseball, whatever. Absolutely. And, and history's made every day. You just don't realize it. Right, yes. That's a great point. Yeah. John Swole is with us here on Whatever Flips Your Waffle at 365sportscast.com. Uh, we mentioned a little bit earlier the, the, the Twins this year, maybe a little bit of a surprise, though you thought last year was maybe more of an aberration. Injuries, everything else last year too. But it seems like, to me, uh, you know, some of the players that maybe faltered last year, they got pulled into emergency situations, weren't quite ready for the big leagues yet, are doing some positive things for the Twins this year. Yes, and I guess the biggest surprise to me is the pitching. Uh, you know, everybody was, you know, just shocked that the, the Twins didn't really do anything over the off season to, to get some good starting pitching. You know, they signed, you know, a couple players, uh, a couple pitchers, but no one had really high expectations uh, for them. Uh, but yet, you know, they. They've held up pretty well. Bundy's had some issues now. Um, but, um, you know, sometimes the season just starts out poorly and, and it just seems like one thing leads to another and, and things just go to pot. And to, to, that's the way I guess I saw last season. Whereas this year, you're seeing pretty much just the opposite. One guy is doing well and it seems to be contagious and other players continue to do well. And, and it, if you think you're going to do well, you know, I, I think that uh, it kind of leads on and, and other players feel the same way it catches on and it just it's crazy how it works out yeah well last year they had a lot of blown leads late in games and that wears on you too and and while that's happened a couple times this year more so um we call it the emilio pagan experience here uh <laughs> brings back shades of ron davis at times uh yeah. would <laughs> close for the twins but somehow they find a way to get it done um, and and what the thing is this year that I see is you're beating the teams you should, you know, uh, taking care of the Oakland Athletics, taking care of the yep. Kansas City, Detroit. Um, those are the the games you should win. You do, and uh, June will be a tougher stretch, I think, with the Yankees and and the Rays again and some other really quality teams. Um, everybody's got an opinion too on Royce Lewis. And uh, his call up and then demotion and what do you think about the young man? Yeah, uh, yeah. For me, I personally, I wasn't at all surprised that he got sent back down. Uh, he seems to be like like he's going to be a great prospect and uh, and an excellent ball player down the line. But you know, when you got Korea, I I just don't know where you could put him. And to me. Lewis is so young you can't have him sitting on the bench he's no. got to be playing and to me he has to be playing the position that they expect him to play uh, down the line um, and you know that 
appears to be shortstop. So, you know, yeah, you can have him over at third base for a little bit, but you know, I I want if he I want to see him playing, and I want to see him playing the position he's going to play in the big leagues. Right. Whether they're going to have to, you know, if they sign Correa or they manage to keep him. He doesn't opt out uh, if they sign him to a long-term deal. All those things are, you know, the odds are those aren't going to happen. But it could. Right. You know, they could, Correa could stay. Uh, but he's, I think he's a, a smart guy, and he says he loves being in the Twin Cities. <laughs> so, you know, he, he's no dummy. Yeah. Um, that's the way to treat it and whether he's going to stay or leave I don't think anybody's going to find out until that day comes you're absolutely right and and really with Urshela's been solid at third base I don't have a lot of problems with him there I guess if Correa did sign long term I would say okay well now if we want Royce Lewis and he's He's yep. going to be good, and then we have to, he's got to learn third base or maybe first base, or I, I don't know what, but he's got to learn something because um, they're going to need him in the future. Uh, John, we sure appreciate you joining the program this week. Um, twins past and present, twinstrivia.com, that's where you want to go. And uh, with Memorial Day coming up, John, I really want to thank you for your service in the Navy um, in the 60s and serving our country. And uh, I, I appreciate what you've done as a veteran, and I appreciate what you've done to um, kind of maintain the history of the Twins. Well, I appreciate that very much, and I appreciate uh, having the, the being able to spend some time with you today, and I hope that maybe we can get together again and see how things are going as the season progresses. Sounds like a plan. John Swole, check him out, twinstrivia.com, or on Twitter, at st. O-K-E. If you are interested in sponsoring the program, Whatever Flips Your Waffle, I encourage you to get a hold of me, waffleflipper22 at gmail.com or at MrD1973 on Twitter. Uh, we can chat a little bit, develop some advertising for your business. $25 will get you a sponsorship, and myself and the Waffle Flipping Public would appreciate that. And now it's time for the State of Minnesota Sports. First, a local note. If you remember Andrew Phillips, New Richland, Heartland, Ellendale, Geneva baseball star that we had on the program a little while back, he announced this past week that he has signed a letter of intent to play baseball at Division I South Dakota State University. He will be a jackrabbit. So congratulations to Andrew. All his hard work is paying off and he'll have a chance to compete at that Division One level. So we'll keep an eye on that in the years to come. He's only a junior this year, so he's got another year of high school left, um, but it'll be an exciting time for Mr. Phillips, that's for sure. Let's start this week following that, of course, with the Timberwolves who are in the news. Hiring new president Tim Conley, hiring him away from the Denver Nuggets of all, you know, all places, a fellow Western Conference foe, he got five years, $40 million. He gets equity in the team as well, some ownership equity, a pretty big thing. Uh, you know, and this was a, a question going with the Timberwolves is where are you going to go? Um, the executive vice president, uh, Mr. Gupta, had been running the team since they had fired the previous 
president and uh, done a, a fine job. Got along well with Chris Finch and the coaching staff and the players. Um, he will keep his position. He'll still be working closely with the team. But they're bringing in a guy who has made the Denver Nuggets a consistent contender um, in his time there. And one has to wonder, is he just at the point where well, can't seem to you know, push the Nuggets uh, to that last vista and I want to uh, start a new project? Maybe he sees in the Timberwolves that, that rough idea of a potential championship team, the same as he saw when he went to Denver and, and really developed them into every year you can count on them being in the playoffs and contending a little bit. And maybe he sees that with the Timberwolves and uh, and wants to do the same thing here. So uh, that's pretty big news. They, the, the ownership, both old and new, has made this a priority that we're, we're going to talk about being competitive. We're going to talk about being a professional franchise, um, not something that we've necessarily always seen from the Timberwolves kind of meander around. And um, so this is exciting news if you're a Timberwolves fan, that they look like they're on their way to really being a respectable organization all the way through. And I think a lot of this is, you know, Glenn Taylor has been a fine owner, but he just sort of kind of sat back and said, I own an NBA team. And now when you have Mr. Lore and Mr. Rodriguez coming in next year to, to um, take over, well, it's time. They're not buying a franchise just to say they have one. They Alex Rodriguez has been a winner his whole life, even if he cheated sometimes to do that. Uh, but they want to make sure that they, they have that opportunity. So that's an exciting um, idea from the Timberwolves, that's for sure. The Vikings as well, you know, we look back on some OTAs and some rookie coming into town and everything else and, and a lot of things coming out of out of the Vikings. Uh, you know, things like Zadarius Smith has really impressed people. He's just been crazy is the word that Delvin Cook used to describe him and the work ethic that he has and everything else. He's kind of been told, hey, it, it's just we're not even two preseason yet. Let's ratchet it down a little bit. But clearly he's very excited to be here. Um, excitement, if you are a fantasy football player, the idea of drafting Delvin Cook this year, provided he stays healthy, the fact that they're talking about lining him up as a receiver a number of times. And this could just be some crazy experiment to see. And maybe you'd see him out there once or twice a game or something. But who knows? Uh, Kevin O'Connell is an inventive sort of mind when it comes to offense. And, and hey, if I want to put my best players on the field at the same time, that could include Delvin Cook and Alexander Madison. And then you throw Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen out there, maybe um, a K.J. Osborne, you know, some of those guys. And suddenly you have a lot of offensive weapons and how many teams could um, cover all of those guys? Probably very few. They've even looked at the idea of right guard. There's been a lot of battle going with that. Uh, it's been a, a difficult position for the Vikings to fill. Uh, Ole Udo didn't do well there. Uh, last year draft pick Wyatt Davis hasn't really done what they were expecting out of him. Uh, you know, this year they've drafted Ed Ingram. He's come in, and when he you know learns a little bit more about it, maybe he'll have a shot at it. Otherwise, we've heard the names Jesse Davis, Chris Reed. You know, all we need is somebody to be solid there. You don't have to be extraordinary, uh, but you have to be solid. More good news coming out of the Vikings camp as well is that they seem impressed that Kellen Mond has started to grow a little bit. Uh, it was clear Mike Zimmer didn't like him very much, uh, didn't really want to give a lot of effort 
partly through last season. But, you know, having a young quarterback is working with that quarterback all through the season, even as you're guiding your team and getting ready for every week because you don't know when that guy is going to have to come in and play at some point. And if you drafted somebody, you want to put in the time and effort. And it seems like uh, Kevin O'Connell and his staff are – you know, trying to do the best they can because Kirk Cousins won't be around forever. And if you can say, hey, we drafted this guy and, and he's going to turn out to be somebody pretty good, uh, that's a good thing as well. So a lot of positive vibes uh, coming out of the Vikings camp. Eric Kendrick seems very happy, and he was very outspoken after Zimmer left. Uh, but he seems very happy about what's going on, and and so that's a positive thing as well. Uh, you know, a lot of things still to fall into place. We're a long way. There's going to be um, the mandatory mini camp coming up here, the beginning part of June, um, and so we'll we'll see how everything goes when everybody's there and and what's happening and and coming out of the Vikings camp as we start to think about football just a little bit. Let's talk Twins. As we talked with John earlier in the program, you heard the interview. Um, he's very optimistic this year, and, and he's been watching the Twins since they were a franchise back in 1961 and, and seen a lot of things. But a lot of excitement around the Twins. Again, we've talked last couple of weeks about how this is a stretch where they need to play well, and they have been doing that. You know, you have to beat these teams that you should beat. Uh, you know, take two out of three in Oakland, uh, great. Um, you know, go to Kansas City, sweep the Royals, where last time you were there they took two out of three from you. And really, in amazing fashion, I'll admit that on Sunday I kind of was doing some stuff around the house. I checked the score, and and they were down a little bit. And I went outside, decided to mow the lawn, get that done, came back in. They're down six to nothing in the eighth inning. I said, oh, jeez, I'm not even going to bother turning this on. i got other things I can do. And a little while later, an hour or so later, I went and I looked at what the final score was, and here, by and large, they come back to win. Seven to six, a big comeback, all the runs in the last two innings. And this is the type of a game, I sat here and thought about this, this is the kind of game that propels you as a team. That You say, hey, we've won two out of three. They, they didn't have three of their starters in the game. And if, if we don't win, it's no big deal. We can go home and, and not worry too much about it. But... Every game matters, and you come down to the end of the season, you think, well, geez, if we would have won that game, if we would have won that game. A big come-from-behind win like that with not all your best players in the lineup, really, even against a lesser team, really says a lot about this Minnesota Twins franchise. And they seem to be having fun. They didn't turn around Monday night, and after Kepler stakes them to a 4 nothing lead with a grand slam, uh, the bullpen kind of gives it away. Even guys like Joe Smith, who finally gives up his first earned run of the season. Joe Smith's been a fireman coming out of the out of the bullpen all year, and you, at some point you knew he had to give up a run. But things weren't going their way, but they still managed to scrap and claw and find a way to score a run the bottom of the ninth. Two days in a row at Kansas City and then home against the Tigers. Gio Urshela has come through to drive in the game-winning run. And here's the deal, folks. You know, everybody wants Royce Lewis up in the major leagues. And we, we talk about this a little bit. Where are you going to put him? You're not putting him in place at Korea. Urshel has been playing well. He's solid defensively at third. Um, do you just make Royce Lewis the guy who fills in for the guys who need a day off? He can go for Buxton out in center field. Who knows? If you read up on the St. Paul Saints, that's kind of what's been happening. Is He's playing a lot of different positions. So when they bring him back up and you know what's going to happen probably by the middle of June, um, then he can maybe that's his, that's his goal, his role for the team. 
uh, his goal, too, of course, to make it back up. Maybe that's what they're planning on for Royce Lewis because, let's be honest, you have a playoff-caliber team here, and when push comes to shove, you have to put your best players on the field. And if you get to the playoffs, you have to have your best players in the field, and Royce Lewis might be one of them. And I don't know on a playoff team that you say, where am I putting Royce Lewis in this lineup? Because I need his bat, but where where do we do that? Do, we, do you put him in left field? Uh, do you DH him? Well, then what do you do a catcher? Because Sanchez has been heating up. Uh, Jeffers has been very, very solid as a catcher this year. And, and it's a great problem to have, and you know some more injuries might come along the way. Uh, but, boy, Max Kepler's playing a lot better, and, and I thought that wasn't going to happen until the shifts were disallowed, but he's finding ways to get hits. Um, you got Garlic coming off the bench, just destroying left-handed pitchers. It's incredible, but whenever Royce Lewis makes his, his return, um, you, you can bet that they'll find a place for him because it's exciting. And, and if you read the stories, and, and Max Kepler was talking about how much fun they're having in the clubhouse. He made some allusions to last year. It wasn't. It was everybody for themselves. I mean, my gosh, they've got a gong in the clubhouse to bang, to just keep things livened up after wins. Um, this is the sign of a loose ball club who's playing well and has a lot of confidence in themselves. Uh, and that's a lot of fun to see. So uh, the Twins going forward, uh, hopefully as you're listening to this, we're talking about a potential sweep of the Detroit Tigers. Then you get Kansas City coming in again and then off to Detroit for a five-game series. And we'll see how the Twins' arms are at the end of this long run here. And that's the state of Minnesota sports. And now it's time for this week in Minnesota sports history. On May 25th, in 1977, the Twins smacked 24 hits in a 13-5 win at Fenway Park over the Red Sox. On May 25th, in 1991, the Pittsburgh Penguins beat the Minnesota North Stars 8-0 for a 4-2 Stanley Cup championship. The last time we've seen a professional hockey team in the state of Minnesota, the state of hockey, in the Stanley Cup Finals. And in 1997, on May 25th, the Twins retired Kirby Puckett's number, number 34. I was at that game, got a chance to get some tickets. And back then, it was uh, general admission in lower left field. So it was first come, first served with where you sat. And it was quite a scramble um, to sit in some good seats out there at the Metrodome. And uh, right nearby, the section with the golden seat of Kirby Puckett's. On May 27th, in 2006, the Twins beat the Mariners at the Metrodome 9-5 as Boof Bonzer got his first win. Bonzer, of course, came over in the A.J. Przinsky trade that also netted the Twins, uh, Francisco Liriano and Joe Nathan. During that game, the Twins turned a triple play, and Seattle still scored a run. The bases were loaded. Ball was hit, tagged the runner going to second, throw to first, so you got two outs there. Meanwhile, the runner has come home from third and the runner going from second to third rounded third too much so they threw over tagged him out and that was the triple play but because the run scored prior to a tag out not a force out that run counted in 2010 jason kubel became the first twin with a multi-homer game at the brand new target field in an eight to two win over the yankees on may 28th in 1968 the american league announced the two divisions for the following season with the twins located in the western division remember prior to 1969 the american league just crowned a champion at the end of the season and major league baseball decided to split things up a little bit add an extra round of playoffs and of course now we have even more with three divisions and wildcard teams 
On May 28, 1994, Dave Winfield passed Rod Carew on the all-time hits list into 15th place with 3,054 hits. In 2011, on May 28, Anthony Swarzak threw one hit ball in eight innings, the only hit the Twin would allow in a 1-0, 10-inning win over the Angels. It was the first one-hitter at Target Field. In 2019, on May 28th, Devin Smeltzer made his Twins debut after coming over in the Brian Dozier trade. He threw six shutout innings but got a no decision, although the Twins won 5-3. And Smeltzer, of course, was sent back down to St. Paul. He's out of options now. The next time the Twins call him up, he's going to have to stay up or they're going to risk losing him. On May 29th, in 1982, Sal Butera set a Twins record with four runners thrown out in a 6-4 loss against the Yankees at the Metrodome. The Twins also turned a triple play on a strikeout and throwout of two runners on the bases on the same play. On May 30th in 1992, Burt Blylevin became the second Major League Baseball player to win both as a teenager and as a 40-year-old. For our local listeners in the Richland, Heartland, Allendale, Geneva area, we have come upon spring sports playoffs. On May 26th, track has their subsection over in Mapleton. And good luck to all the tracksters as some of them hope to compete and move on to the sections and possibly the state track meet. Baseball is scheduled after opening round on May 26th. However, it looks like our baseball team will end up with the number two seed in the section, which will give them a first round bye. So congratulations to the baseball team on a fantastic season. I got a chance to watch them for the first time last week in an exciting 2-1 to victory over Southland. So that would mean that their first playoff game after the bye would be May 31st, and that will be in Richland at Jeff and Carol Reese Field. Softball will be in their second round at the high seed, and uh, they will also play then on Saturday, May 28th at Caswell Park in Mankato. A fantastic chance to watch a lot of good softball with all the fields going at Caswell there in Mankato. A great opportunity if you enjoy softball at all. And then hopefully softball would still be playing next Tuesday, May 31st, competing in the section finals. Uh, golf will also have their sections on May 31st at New Prague. So again, good luck to all of our spring sports athletes as they look to finish off the school year and their seasons in fine fashion. Well, that'll do it for another Helping of Waffles here at 365sportscast.com. Glad you joined us and hope you'll continue to tune in each week right here at 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central. Remember, if you can't catch the original broadcast, just jot it down. Each week's episode replays Thursday at 10, Friday at 7, Saturday at 10, Monday at 8, and Tuesday at 10, all Eastern Standard Time. Shows also archived to YouTube. You can go back and watch previous episodes with many of our fantastic guests that we've had on. If you have any thoughts, any feedback, if you think that you might make for a good interview, email me, waffleflipper22 at gmail.com, or message me on Twitter, at MrD1973. Next week, we'll dive back into the world of Minnesota sports. Will the Twins continue to play good baseball? Will the Vikings have learned anything from their OTAs? Well, the Lynx have turned it around a little bit and started to make a move in the WNBA. I'll have another special guest to delve into all that and more. Thank you again for joining me. This is Mark Domeyer signing off with Syrup.